Hello, friends, and welcome. It's lovely to be here. I'm Pam Pastor, your host for the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. And you know, as believers, we are called to be faithful under pressure. Now, allow me to speak a blessing over you and offer some encouragement as we prepare to enter into the presence of God today. And one of God's promises to us is that He will multiply grace and peace when believers diligently strive after a deep knowledge of both God and His Son, Jesus. We learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Simply put, we claim God's promises as yes that are ours in Christ. It is God's power that we see in His promises. His word promises new mercies every day, meaning we have redemption in Christ daily. So now let's prepare ourselves as we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Lord, we are thankful for you and we bless your holy name. Lord, we praise you because you are the creator, you're our savior, and our imminent successor in all we do. We make a joyful shout as we come together in praise, worshiping and knowing that our approach is an active one rather than one of passivity. You, God, alone are worthy of our praise because you remain constant. We can know you for who you are. Therefore, we know what you do and we choose to praise you. And the Apostle Paul teaches us much about the promises and wisdom of God. Specifically, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things that counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Amen. Well, today's episode is titled My Story, and I don't know your story, but I do know that everyone has a story. Long ago, I was ashamed that I had been fooled. You see, I'm smarter than the way that quote-unquote they played me, or so I thought. God is God, the end. Nope, that's not completely true. This isn't the time to tell the complete story, so I'll only share some of the highlights at this time. Being adopted after a stint of a few months in foster care sparked an honorable curiosity within me. Who were my biological parents? Why didn't they choose to keep me? What was their story? When did they make the difficult decision to make me a ward of the state? How could they go on with life? This insatiable curiosity was fueled by abandonment, rebellion, and rejection. Might I add here, this made me a prime target for the New Age movement who claimed to hold all of the answers, and then some. The answers were predicated on a belief in God. James chapter 2 verse 19 warns us, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
I didn't have all the facts. Sure, I had heard about Jesus, but he was God whom I believed in. In my narrow mind, I knew God and occasionally even muttered something up to heaven in more of a wish, a hope, or a preference. The only hearing back I was expecting was a manifestation of my selfish greed. And Easter, Easter was a holiday for children to be surprised with baskets full of candy and chocolate bunnies, right? Oh, and hams for the parents. It would be my husband, Matt, who would set me straight on the real meaning of Easter. It would be God who stepped into my messy life, telling me, get to know my son, Jesus. First and foremost, the ability to adequately express my gratitude doesn't do justice for my level of thankfulness. My thinking was that I was just a number upon earth populated with billions of other people. But God and his son Jesus would show me a completely different picture. I was chosen by God to be on planet earth at this time. My father is royalty, making me a child of the most high God. He would teach me what his word says about consulting mediums. My first stop would be at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. A man or woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. The Lord warned Jerusalem through the prophet Isaiah to listen to the teachings of God. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 4 says, You shall be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground. And your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Jerusalem was about to endure God's judgment. And also in Isaiah, the Lord showed me in chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Mediums and wizards used occult rituals to attempt to conjure up the spirits of the dead and receive oracles concerning the future. The law forbade Israel to have anything to do with such people under penalty of death. God and his word are the only sources of wisdom and knowledge. As I continued seeking answers, God continued pursuing me. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, I learned that the future anointed King David chose to live among the Philistines for 14 months to get away from King Saul, who wanted to take David's life. Some scholars are suggestive that this time of 14 months was wholly dishonoring to the Lord, while others speculate it was a time of protection for David. However, our thoughts do determine our actions. David's sojourn in Gath began when he said in his heart, 
If we are wise, we will persistently encourage ourselves in the Lord and listen to the voice of His Spirit rather than to the fearful or negative whispers of our own hearts, realizing that God is able to deliver His servants from any situation. His provision is a promise, not just a possibility. Because David was living in Philistine territory, let his men were under obligation to fight on behalf of the Philistines against Israel. The prophet Samuel had died and King Saul was utterly terrified. Saul had even put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. But the terror he was feeling was like those who are estranged by God, as opposed to those David describes in Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me in this, I will be confident. David looked to his confidence in salvation to overcome fear. King Saul knew he was facing trouble. The three ways in the Old Testament to determine the will of the Lord were dreams, the Urim and Thummim, and the prophets. Saul tried all three unsuccessfully. The original Urim or priestly ephod was with Abathar, who was with David. The ephod held sacred lots, which were stones kept within a linen pouch. King Saul had no reason to wish harm on David. Yes, David was anointed for godly service, but this fact should have been a unity bond and not a threat for King Saul. But King Saul was so determined and intent on capturing David, his pride and ego muddied the landscape, and he was willing to risk his own soldiers' lives and besiege his own people. Saul's superior military power was no match for God's hedge of protection around David. Saul must have fabricated an ephod for his own use. Even though Saul sought the Lord, he did so in the wrong way. His heart was far from God. Therefore, he received no answer. Saul knew consulting mediums was wrong, which is why he outlawed the practice early on. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 31, Moses said, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them. To be defiled by them, I am the Lord your God. The dictionary shows defilement is making foul dirty, or unclean. The world in New Age embraces spirit guides. These are spirits of the underworld, ready and waiting to communicate with the living. They are household servants. A medium is a liaison who connects and communicates with the dead on behalf of the living. The Bible references false teachers who also were utilizing spirit guides. Pagan religious customs are forbidden. 
In Exodus chapter 22, verse 18 says, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Sorcery was considered a dangerous demonic practice. Therefore, the Hebrew people were commanded to stay away from everything associated with the occult. Although Saul knew seeking mediums was wrong, he wasn't hearing from God. So he asked his servants to find him a woman who is a medium that he could go to her and inquire of her. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why King Saul seeks out a woman instead of a man as a medium. I do find that interesting, but in my opinion, it's because Saul's servants tell him about a woman at Endor who fits the bill. So now we're going to read. 1 Samuel chapter 28 verses 8 through 25. So if you're following along with me, open up your Bibles now. Again, that's going to be 1 Samuel chapter 28 verses 8 through 25. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritist from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul." And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me? For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me see 
set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it, baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So it seems as if Saul thought by disguising himself, he would be able to trick the woman. He had been so desperate for answers. He did it anyway, coming to her by night. When we feel desperate, no matter if it's fact or illusion, we lose our ability to make wise decisions. The biblical writer for 1 Samuel believed that the medium did conjure Samuel up in spirit rather than that of an evil spirit. And this is supported by the fact that this prophecy proved true. No matter if it was Samuel or that of an evil spirit, the medium screamed when she saw Samuel, perhaps because she was not expecting her witchcraft to actually arouse the prophet Samuel's spirit. Whatever the explanation, God caused the woman to recognize Saul and convey to him the coming battle would bring about his death. Saul proved to God he was unfaithful by consulting a medium. And we learn in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told to avoid wicked customs. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 14, Moses tells us, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination, which means hate or disgust, of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. You see, the Canaanites were heavily involved in the occult. They practiced witchcraft, interpreted omens, called up the dead, and listened to soothsayers and diviners, in addition to child sacrifice. Sound familiar? The Israelites were moving into a dark land and needed to be careful to destroy the people and so to destroy their wickedness. In a short amount of time, this episode is mentioned many terms that we all are probably not completely familiar with. So now I'm going to cover some of these meanings now, and these are biblical definitions. So first, we're going to look at what is a soothsayer. A soothsayer is one who pretends to prognosticate future events. Balaam is so-called a diviner 
And in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, it says the story of Balaam is found in the book of Numbers. His divided heart was so bent on personal gain, eventually leading to his demise as his nation was overtaken by the Israelites. And then we get to what is an abomination? Well, mainly that's used to denote idolatry. And in many other cases, it refers to inherently evil things such as illicit sex, lying, murder, deceit, etc. And also, it also applies to unclean foods. And then to conjure means to summon a devil or spirit by invocation or incantation. And then sorcery is an immoral or false practice. Sorcery can be seen as an effort to circumvent God's knowledge and sovereignty and to worship Satan instead. And hang on, hang in there with me. We have just a couple more definitions that I want to go over. Uh, One thing is cancel culture. And this was kind of, quote unquote, their form of retribution towards me. When I say their form, I'm talking about demons who are seeking to destroy God's children. Personally, I've experienced an attempt to silence or cancel my voice. You might want to look at some of my previous episodes if you or anyone you know is dealing with some form of cancel culture. And then according to gotquestions.org, we're going to look at what an omen is. And it says that omen is a sign with prophetic significance that portends an exceptionally notable or disastrous event. Natural phenomena, strange birth defects, or animals acting in unexplainable ways are all commonly seen as omens. Omens can be good or evil. That is, they can foretell a good, positive event or an evil, harmful one. The superstitious might consider finding a heads-up penny a good omen, but see a black cat crossing their path as a bad omen. And then what does it say about spiritism? Well, spiritism is defined by its founder, Alan Kardec, who it's Apparently, it's a science dedicated to the relationship between incorporeal, which means non-material matter or no material existence, beings, and human beings. Now, Kardec was a French educator whose real name was Hippolyte Leon Denizard Reveal, but he goes by Kardec. Kardec codified the Kardecist, spiritualism, doctrine, the aim of which was to study spirits, their origin, nature, destiny, and relation to the corporeal world. Spiritism became a popular movement and is now represented in 35 countries. Kardec also wrote the Spirits book in an attempt to show how spiritism differs from spiritualism. And then it goes on to say spiritism also claims that disembodied spirits can have benevolent or maleficent effects on the living and that humans can communicate with spirits through seances and mediums. So allow me to paraphrase spiritism 
from, again, gotquestions.org. The Bible clearly forbids spiritism. God's people are to make no attempt to contact spirits. Seances and necromancy are occult activities forbidden by God. The fact that spiritism places the occult under a veil of science makes no difference. The Bible tells us that the spirit world is off limits to us for our own protection. The rational conclusion from scripture is that any contact spiritists have with the souls of the departed is actually contact with demons in disguise. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9. So spiritism is not compatible with the Bible and is spiritually dangerous. Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Now, I've touched upon the tip of the iceberg of my story. And as we travel together, more of my story will be revealed and the truth of what has happened will come to life. For now, though, like other people who have been tricked, my my mission is to stay thankful to God for his protection and stay in forgiveness of my adversaries. I've never sought revenge for what the enemy stole because through all of the trials, God has fulfilled his Romans chapter 8 verse 28 promise to me. He has worked all things together for good. And I would lose something the world valued and it was replaced with better. Now I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I was the target of injustice, but God allowed me to bear the load. He walked side by side with me through it all. And as the famous poem records, when I was too weak, it was then that he carried me footprints in the sand. No matter the accusation, my heart has remained close to God. There's nothing said that is of surprise to him. He was there as a witness through thick and thin. All truth has been recorded in the heavenly realms. As I freely receive mercy, I offer my enemies the same mercy. It's up to them to accept or reject it. My job is to make sure my heart is right before God and then treat others with the same grace that God has afforded me. When God calls you or me forth for a kingdom level mission, we should never fear the crowd or obey their voices. So friends, I hope that this has been enlightening for you. And if you've not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For God made Christ to never sin to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin making us right with God. Our sin was then placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us upon our conversion. While it's true, we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus. What we can do is show him our gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening that relationship daily. So today, friends, if this is you, I implore you to take action now. Step out boldly in faith and conviction towards the kingdom of God. Openly confess after me. Heavenly Father, 
We come before you now, repenting of known and unknown sin in our lives, meaning we're changing our ways of thinking, acting, and showing up. Jesus, you're welcome to take up permanent residence as the King upon the throne of my heart. I'm confessing your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Congratulations and God bless you. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And you may consider joining a good Bible-based church as well. Again, congratulations. God bless you. And until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. A final word from Paul is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God bless you. And if you receive this, say amen. God bless.